Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We begin a series today based on a list of realizations that identity reliably evokes in people, the first being that your unconscious, surprise, is running your life. We discuss how behavioral psychology was based in reducing human beings to animals, why humanistic psychology was a reasonable but impotent successor, how numbing behaviors are rewarded in our society, how our unconscious defines the parameters of our comfort zones, how the unconscious inevitably determines our values, which is why we're not supposed to challenge value systems, and of course, much more. This was one of my most favorite podcasts that I can remember, which isn't probably very many, but we both agreed after recording that we were being carried by something larger than ourselves. It made for a very lively conversation, and I very much hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Well, greetings and welcome forward, everyone, to episode 65. We're getting up there. 65, my yeah. God. Yeah, that's way older than I am. Wait, what have we been talking about? It's 60, to fill up 65 podcasts? Yes, yeah, fortunately, I have a list of it all for my ailing, uh, mem- our ailing memories, So, uh, which I just <laughs> used yesterday to link to podcast to what will be the Identity website. Um, oh, super. Yeah. Super. So um, we have something exciting planned to talk about today, um, and that is what uh, it's very much uh, rough and in, in process but uh, what I'm currently calling uh, realizations, and a while back, it uh, I was moved to write a, a, a set of realizations that identity um, beckons you forth toward, perhaps. <laughs> forth toward. Nice. Beckons you toward, beck, forth toward. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah. and it made me dig through some of my old files because I was pretty sure, and I still think that an, a list like this existed. Um, uh-huh. Way back in the past, and so I got Stace and Bree to dig through their uh, hard drives, and um, yeah. but, um, we're still looking. Actually. Still looking, yes. Yeah. Um, it's 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 like uh, we're our own anthropological uh, experiment, where we have enough material that we very often have to go digging to find what we know exists, but can't really remember what or where. where yeah, where that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, it's just a, this is going to be in no particular order, and I'm sure we're not going to get anywhere anywhere near anywhere near through all of these. But um, uh, want to start with the first one, Stace? Yeah. Um, one of the most basic ones that uh, Jung and, uh, and and Freud Adler uh, all basically agreed on, but that is basically um, not operated on very directly or effectively by modern psychology. And that is that your our unconscious is significantly running our lives. We would say up to two thirds uh, of it. That uh, the unconscious and the, and the way to check this in for a listener is the unconscious is running your conscious life to the degree that you don't know that your unconscious is running your conscious life. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know and you're constantly curious about how the unconscious is informing your conscious life, if you're not, if you're not in touch with that, then your unconscious is basically two-thirds running your conscious life. And I got an example to insert here. I was just speaking to a client today who has had a tendency to be 
extremely minimalistic in email communications to the point of causing confusion. And uh-huh. so there's been this behavior pattern of writing the absolute minimum, often with obfuscating typos. I'm often having to read the emails like five times, then ask questions. And I brought it up several times and then noticed there wasn't a real curiosity or interest in changing that. Uh-huh. And it was causing significant problems in his business. And so I did this sort of overarching presentation today about the nature of the unconscious and how we're exactly what you just said um, uh, in a a way that I very much learned from you. Like, let's talk about a very broad topic that may apply to you and then narrow it down into an accessible way. And so then I asked a bunch of questions. So it's like, so if you're tending to be minimalistic in the way you write, what is, how is that serving you? Well, it's not serving me. Well, revisit the principle of self-interest. We only ever yeah. do things that serve us consciously or not. So right. how might it be serving you? And, you know, many yeah. questions later, he got sure. to, we, we got to anxiety, that, it's, uh, that the distraction is a cover, a medication, we would say, technically, for uh-huh. anxiety. And he said, almost on cue, but I don't experience anxiety. Uh-huh. And I said, and well, you wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) because it's working because the medication is working because your unconscious knows exactly what it's doing and it's keeping you in 10 places at once, which is almost always a dead giveaway for anxiety. It it segments you so that you don't wholly feel the fear that's actually running your life. And that's exactly how it works. Um, Wow, that's so clear. Uh, and, and, that, and what's so disconcerting to me is that that simple statement, which directly flows out of Adler, Jung, and uh, uh, Freud, is I've never heard that any therapist ever emphasize that, ever. Mm-hmm. I've, never, I've never heard a therapist, even Gestalt therapists, and they rock uh, Gestalt mm-hmm. therapists. Uh, they're the best of the bunch. Um, I've never heard any standard psycho- psychological teacher or a therapist say that it will run your conscious life to the degree you don't know that it's running your conscious life. Yeah. That would be the only statement that really showed that that, per- that person was a true Adlerite, Jungite, or Freudian, you know, uh, because this is a basic principle that has been lost in the modern day with all the focus now on practical coping behavioral reframes uh, uh, that's that's the therapy is uh, is talking about these days. So, well, uh, you know, the TikTok version. Yes. You know, well, I've you know. been I've been working on an article that led me down a, a rabbit hole related to this, and you probably know more about the history of psychology than I do. But let me make a stab at what happened. <laughs> okay. So I got interested in I forget where and why and how, but I got interested in like where did where did psychology change from being interested in exploring the unconscious to changing behaviors? How did how did that happen? Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yes. And I ran into Pavlov, who was a contemporary of Freud. Yes. Uh, interestingly, he started out in theology. And oh, I, I, I that I now I remember. I would never have yeah. thought that. I remember that now that you say it. Uh-huh. Yeah. He got into theology and then he read um, Darwin's Origin of Species, which I believe was 1859. And mm-hmm. then he got into physiology and natural science. He was never a psychologist. I mean, I don't. You couldn't be a psychologist, and there was just oh. Freud and Boyer, and you know, <laughs> handful of other guys. They didn't have the name yet, you know. Right. So right. he went into the domain of the psyche f- from Darwin, 
from animal world and projected animal consciousness onto people and was able to train dogs to salivate with bells and was like, Eureka, let's train people like this. And then um, who are the behavioralist guys? Skinner and Uh, uh, um, Watson. uh, So Watson and Skinner. I forget the other guy, but Skinner is who I know best. B.F. Skinner. But then the two guys who actually were psychologists piggybacked on top of um, uh, uh, Pavlov's work. Again, not a psychologist, right? A naturalist, a physiologist, a biologist, essentially. And they're like, okay, cool. Let's build a psychological model to change people's behaviors. I assume without having to deal with all of this unconscious stuff and penis envy and all of Freud's, you know, valiant but distorted attempt at mapping the unconscious. And right. the, 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 the basic premise of behavioralism was let's help people change their behaviors without trying to objectify this mess of the unconscious, which we don't think can be done anyway. Yes. And then that dominated psychology for 60 years of, of the 20th century until humanism showed up. Uh, go ahead. Go and ahead, then John. humanism said, hey, you're not treating people like whole people. You're not really respecting their feelings. We think they're essentially good and they have all of their own answers. So let's just talk to them until they come up with them. Go on which, which is the pendulum yeah. swinging all the way from we will train you to be better than your unconscious habits right. to we accept you as you are. Let's, let's talk about it and see what unfolds, yes. both of which are impotent. From our point of view. From our point yes. of view. Yes. Yeah. They work great. Again, back to those, one of our earliest podcasts, uh, the, the realizations in the meta and the really existential that, um, that uh, people just don't get the significance of. And in that sense, um, everything you're saying here uh, it, it, it about the, what we're saying about the unconscious, not getting that um, will devolve you somewhere on either end of the spectrum, just like you said, over behaviorism or over support of helping educe your own wisdom about yourself. Uh, neither yeah. of the, they, but they both bypass uh, the, the necessity of the unconscious. Uh, but actually, Freud only psychosexually mapped the unconscious. <laughs> That's all he did. <laughs> Uh, Jung went further was, into archetypes and stuff, but yeah, it's totally true. He, yeah, only, yeah, and, he must have been really just, obsessed with sex because that's oh, all he well, mapped. Well, the old cigar <laughs> metaphor, you know. Right. Uh, uh, I would love to get uh, the soul that was Freud uh, on my sofa and, uh, <laughs> and see what would go down. But yeah, it was uh, the uh, psychosexual unconscious for Freud and the archetypal um, guidance uh, from Jung, who was also into Eastern spirituality. So he, he got backlit uh, by a lot of Eastern uh, philosophies. So. Yeah, but he probably, I don't know Jung's work very well, but he probably started to fall into transcendence and started to blend that into psychology, right? A- absolutely right. Yeah. Um, um, and of course, no, ourselves included, Joseph, no one's uh, not got imperfections yeah. to our um, worlds um, in terms of psychological remediation necessity. We're always in process. We're verbs. We're not nouns, you know. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, we can be called on um, the fact that, let's say, um, um, I would admit here on the podcast that uh, I shoot up every 10 days or so. <laughs> between my toes now <laughs> so I nobody could say, can see well, the tracks oh uh, yeah and so and i could say uh, well i'm just an imperfect being and so i would want mm. people just accept that but 
such a severe medication, mm. uh, use of a medication, would cast doubt on the whole premises of uh, what I stand for. And just so, I mean, with Freud, a brilliant guy, God, I'd love to meet his current uh, incarnation. I'm not sure he's here, but uh, he, he, <laughs> he took one of his female patients home with him. Wait, as I, a thought that, I thought that was Jung who did that. Freud did that? Jung. I'm, well, well, Jung, I'm, talking, okay. about Jung. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about Jung. Yeah. Because even though with the backlit transcendent, transcendence, he took... He took, uh, a, 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 as we said before, a female patient home and wanted his wife to live with the fact that he'd have two wives. So, I mean, this for identity is just as virulent as someone shooting up heroin between their toes. Mm -hmm. So that that there's some limitations of early pioneers that we can forgive because they advanced the field uh, uh, to where we could evolve it ourselves. We stand on the and that domain on the shoulders of of giants who pioneered, but they certainly, uh, uh, they opened a door, but uh, psychology has e e has e can is evolvable, and mm -hmm. identity takes that evolution to a whole other direction. Um, no one yet has yet to do except yeah. us. So that's why- As far as we know. It is, it is important to know that our unconscious is the source of our addictions. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and that's why if you don't address it directly, you're only going to be treating symptoms down line of, of, your, of our addictions. And those addictions are a lot of times, uh, as you well know, uh, approved by our um, uh, uh, sick society per um, uh, Krishnamurti. Uh, uh, yeah. There's no, that no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And that one of the asterisks in that is that we reward addictive states of consciousness and behaviors that are not labeled as addictive medications in the society. Uh, so a lot of these things just fall on deaf ears in, uh, in terms of our practical applied TikTokian and Instagrammatic um, world. Uh, <laughs> Instagrammatic, that's awesome. Uh, and of uh, course, those uh, follow the three categories we've talked a lot about recently, altruism, control, and transcendence. Pretty yes. much cover, covers all categories of medications. And are you, are you still defining medications as anything used to not feel something? That was the old definition. or is No, it... um, anything you're not willing to not have. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's a little updated that yeah. way. Uh, anything. And so what would we say about Lance Armstrong uh, back in the uh, 80s and 90s? What was he willing not to, to have? To uh, lose? To lose, <laughs> right? He yeah. was not willing to not lose. Mm -hmm. uh, or no, he was not willing to lose. Yeah. So he, he, he became an, an extraordinary straight-faced liar by his own admission, finally, um, he lied uh, that he didn't wasn't a drug, uh, didn't use drugs to enhance his behavior or his uh, his Tour de France stuff and his bicycling. Yeah. Of course, he did. He was using all that time. So in, Trump in just cities, got indicted for his unwillingness to lose. Uh, and that yeah. was, and there's <laughs> exactly. another indictment specifically about Georgia probably to come. Yeah. <laughs> My God, that that's a whole other podcast. We should we should do one whole podcast to the 
for the orange man, uh, just to <laughs> honor his example of how not to be human. I mean, in just about every direction, bless and, his soul. And, and, or to honor his, um, valiant dead ending process where he's, uh, you know, teaching us all by example, uh, what not yes. to do and, and yeah. learning amidst his own soul. I mean, like it, it appears right now that, um, you know, and I'm using my third eye a little bit here. It seems like he signed up to dead end, like to really reach a cul-de-sac. That's in French, yeah. the ass of the bag to, yes, the ass to, to the really cul-de-sac something that's been a long time coming to go really high and then really yeah. low afterwards. Same yeah, with Elon I mean, Musk. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, at least Elon is on the spectrum. Trump is not on the spectrum. He's just outright uh, straight at uh, that way. I read today that there's a big question at the beginning of an article. If Trump was elected again, could he pardon himself? <laughs> I mean, the circular dead end closed system that he's in uh, internally and expresses externally, oh my God, that, that he would be in a position to pardon himself. Yeah, I know, I mean, and, and if so, it, well, it just goes back to you know the last few weeks of his presidency when the January 6th thing, well, can you indict a sitting president? It's like, I don't know, but if you can't, there's something wrong, fix it. Like, why are we asking this question? <laughs> like, yeah, on the one side, um, <laughs> we are clear constitutionally that, that he's just another citizen. He's not the state. The president is not the state, but he thinks the president is yeah, the state. That was like the whole point of the American Revolution, that there was no king. And now there's a question about whether you can arrest a well, sitting president. Of course I, you have to be able to. I don't get why that was even a debate. Well, there's no precedent. Who cares? Make something up. You have to be able to put exactly. him in jail. The only domain that even becomes a small asterisk question mark about it is about is about um, uh, uh, information that's classified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh no, well, but there's the other the, the, this vast truth and service of like, well, we yeah. cannot damage yeah. the office. What what do you mean? The carpet? What what do you mean? The curtains? You're not if you he breaks the law, the, he can't have the office. He's a citizen who happened to get elected to the to the uh, a powerful position, but it, you would have to assume that the person is the state. Yeah, to I know. say that he was unindictable. Yeah. So the, the, the merry-go-round of politics and lawyering yeah. uh, uh, that goes into all this is just beyond the ken, we used to say back in the day. Uh, beyond so, the ken? Wow. Yeah. What's ken, ken? meaning Ken is a, when you grok something really deeply. Uh, it's oh. a Scottish, used a lot in Scottish culture. Yeah, understanding, can, I think, is the root can, of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not, not Ken as in Kennergy. See our last episode on Barbie and Kennergy. Yeah. <laughs> Could be, though. It's beyond so, Ken's understanding. So, so the unconscious, um, yeah. uh, that's a real, these are realizations that people who go through identity, both in all three hoods, actually one day wake up to that's uh, what what yeah. joseph is well I want, I want to say more about this because about like the realm of psychology because it's it's so easy to see psychology from like you know a thousand feet away and assume it's this like unified thing but mm -hmm. when i learned more about behavioralism and secular humanism i started to see from the different modalities in psychology i know it's like oh there's this like continuum of behavioralism and humanism 
And every modality has a little bit of both. I mean, some are extreme one or the other. Like NLP is basically a form of behavioralism. We're going to train you using your mind and language. And really pure talk therapy wouldn't go in and try to manipulate your triggers and and change them. But most stuff is is a, a titrated amount of both. And then how do we know humanism didn't work? Because they started to use pharmaceuticals. Now they add that in. Right. So that's a third element. And these are the basically the three legs of the stool of like, we're going to talk to you and hear you out. Maybe that'll help. We're going to try to change your unconscious triggers like we would train a dog. That's behavioralism. And when Mm -hmm. all else fails, we'll give you a lifetime subscription to pills. And (laughs) that's psychology. (laughs) And every therapist has or psychiatrist has their own unique mix of those three things, none of which have been demonstrated to actually work, but they won't actually define healing in such a way that would reveal that none of those things would work. There's a hidden agenda there to not uh, make patent. Yeah, which Uh, is why they won't ever give you a straight answer about how much your unconscious is running your life, because if they were forthcoming about that or definitively said that, then it would invoke the question, well, how do I change that? which they don't have an answer to. No, without a benchmark, without a rubric, you know, um, an imprimatur, some assumption that you illustrate is applicable to the vast majority of human consciousness and adaptation. So without, without, it's really a sleight of hand, which is why I led identity with benchmark assumptions, all made patent to test, not to believe in, to test. So without that, a, a paradigm or a philosophy is impotent. Uh, all it can do is flow, go with the flow and survive. It can't, it can't, it's not, it's, it's, it's based on shifting sand, nothing mm-hmm. solid. So that's why it's so sneaky in that way. Even though these are good people, they're still been kidnapped and hijacked by the prevailing conditioning that of what psychology is what, what, that doesn't include what it isn't. Mm-hmm. So what I said so, to this client that I was talking about, oh, he yeah. said, but mm-hmm. I don't feel anxiety. I said, well, <laughs> write every email as if it's going to be broadcast to the world mm-hmm. in giant letters and end up in everybody's email, uh, email box and picked apart, write everyone as if it's your, your last will and testament and then and be that present with your communication and see what happens. And that's, of course, something I learned absolutely from identity. And yeah. that's not what psychological models do. I mean, no. it just seems so obvious. Like, yeah, no. you find how the unconscious is compensating over a wound, and then you change the behavior in a way that the protection mechanisms would never do. And then you yeah. see what happens. There's a cousin of that. So wonderfully said, Joseph. That's not not what psychology would say. Um, I recently uh, arose, arose working with someone in the way that I work with people, um, which isn't that much. Uh, another way to get at it, another mm-hmm. uh, doorway, and that is to ask, ask them to write down all the things, all the qualities they think they don't have in their mm-hmm. life. I, well, I'm not selfish. I'm not greedy. I'm not cruel to people. Oh, I uh, get where this is going. <laughs> list, uh, and that's, of course, without without any further framework. That's their conscious assessment, uh, and what that that whole thing becomes a big part of illustrating to people or mirroring back to them that that's their self image. 
And then we still slowly start um, uh, uh, sifting that until we see that there are many examples of every one of the things, except maybe I'm not a murderer, but that, that's not, we wouldn't go that far. Just a behavior, not a quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Qualities. Uh, I'm not mean. Uh, I'm not vindictive. I'm not. Right. I'm know, not a patriarch. Vengeful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, these are all things in the conscious mind uses, um, even if they're partially true, they will never be 100% true because the unconscious invariably uh, will will have aspects that are opposite to every one of those self-imaged qualities. So there's Which is why you have the self-image in the first place. And uh -huh. if you're not conscious of it, well, it's working. Like uh -huh. you said, the, the protection mechanism is shoving it all out of your consciousness. You're, none of us are the ruler of our being. Uh, we, we are only one third inborn soulfulness sort of seeps in around the edges of this two thirds ruler of our being, the protective self uh, that uses strategy, obfuscation and repression to make sure it stays in um, in control. Mm -hmm. And and that's not a bad part of us, as we say so often, it, yeah. it was it, it got us to this point of survival, as we say so often. So, but what's, if you don't prioritize the content of your unconscious, another assumption patently that says we are all responsible for the content of our unconscious, psychology's never said that. Yeah. They, I've never read any psychology of any si uh, sign that ever said that, uh, that we're ex responsible for it. That's another whole level of self-inhabitation of me wanting to No, heal. because uh, uh, behavioralism would say you're a victim of it and you have to be yes. re re recondition yourself. Recondition, yeah. And humanism would say, well, whether you decide to take responsibility for that is up to you. Yes, exactly. And which is fine for the majority of people mm -hmm. on the planet. They've got goods and services that psychology can serve. They have, psychology has goods and services. We say this almost every other podcast, but identity um, was built to serve an underserved demographic. Mm -hmm. And that is older souls uh, who aren't served by what the standard philosophical, spiritual, religious, and um, uh, psychological goods and services are available yeah. out there. The, the, what hit me today using an old, revisiting an old concept um, is the comfort zone. And oh. that I just saw like, oh, the, the box of the comfort zone is what our unconscious protection mechanisms have set aside of like, here's the area you can play in. Oh yes, this, it's, oh, it's nice. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is the territory that you can change inside of. So when we decide, I'm going to heal my childhood wounds, or uh, have an intimate relationship, or learn the guitar, or whatever, our unconscious is like, uh huh, okay. Here are the parameters in which you are allowed to change. Yes, and no further, right? Yes. It decides that, and we don't even realize that happens until we start to run into problems. Yes. And, and then we try to um, change the results that we're getting on the outside without having to change anything on the inside because our unconscious won't let us. Yes. And then we make up an excuse like, I don't have enough time, I don't have money, this is too hard, life is hard, or whatever mm -hmm. other truth and service. And so it just hit me in a way that because I had a client um, uh, depart on uh, right before a breakthrough, and this is a colleague of mine 
uh, said that most clients quit three months before a breakthrough. And it was just so clear Mm -hmm. that we'd exhausted everything inside the comfort zone. And the next step was going to have to be outside the comfort zone. And the unconscious was like, yep, that's it. I don't have any more time for this. And it was like, wait a minute, what? Do you remember that last conversation we had where you were going to do the really hard thing we'd been inching toward for a year and now is the time you decide to go? It's like when you see this enough times, and I know you've seen it more times than I have, you can't not see. It's like, oh, the unconscious just grabbed the wheel and said, yeah. yep, time to close up shop. That's as far as we go here. Absolutely. And, and I recently, this past year, found the gold standard for this contraction that you're Mm. talking about. I've never experienced anything more insane and obvious of this comfort zone being um, uh, uh, um, uh, not wanting to get out of a comfort zone. Uh, This person was working with several people. uh, uh, He exhausted uh, other psychological modalities, found identity, started working inside of identity, and he found too many imperfections in every single facilitator that he <laughs> was willing to work with him, uh-huh. which was fine. So we guess who we wound up with at the end? Only the top dog, the, the inceptor of the paradigm, was good enough for him, right? Whoa. So, so I did my valiant best. Um, I knew what his, I could see what his limitations were and his shutdown mechanisms and why and all that from just some basic information I got from him. Uh, but in the end, he got so close because the whole thing was about trust, existential trust of mm-hmm. any human being whatsoever. We got just, I, I, I did, I, I'm pretty good at that and creating yeah. a, 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 an accepting space by self-referencing all my versions of how I stayed out of it. Um, but uh, uh, we got so close and here's how close we got. The last uh, communication I got from him was um, uh, after a breakthrough, basically in relational trust mm-hmm. that was um, that that happened in the last session I had with this person, and he wrote that uh, he was uh, ending all um, uh, contact uh, and growth with identity because identity gave him too much hope. He oh could ever Jesus! Recover. Oh man! Wow! Yeah. It gave him so much hope that he couldn't bear trusting it not to fail. So he left it because it brought him to the precipice of trust. It gave him too much hope and he didn't hurt. Hope would hurt him too much if it wasn't fulfilled. Hmm. Now, the, my soul wept uh, hmm. at this and yet he confirmed what I I was assuming all along that this person um, had limits this lifetime for any breakthrough, but we got just close enough, an oasis in the desert uh, for his mm-hmm. lack of trust in his, his, his own humanity and uh, uh, others uh, that he bailed. I, 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 it gives me too much hope I have to leave. Wow. Um, and to that, not have meta about that and be able to just oh. even use critical thinking. I mean, that's basically saying, I mean, that's green saying, I would rather live a miserable life than stick out my neck and ever take a risk to make things better. And then, of course, you'd be like, well, how does that remind you of your childhood? Who put you in that position? Exactly right. And the the horror of it was that he could articulate that reason. Yeah. 
yeah. in his thought mind, but couldn't get there and bear the feeling repercussions of that truth. Boy. So this is this is a real tragedy. Um, and I don't know that this lifetime he'll ever, um, he got so close and got so scared, a part of him got so scared, uh, get out of the comfort zone of not trusting relationality at all with human beings. Yeah. Uh, that uh, we'll see, of course, but that, that one, that's the gold standard. I'm leaving identity because it works. Yeah, that's, uh, in one way, it's the most honest answer I've ever heard. I, I love this being. I just, I love him, uh, a man, uh, in, in, in his integrity and his intelligence and his desire to change, and yet his unconscious was easily 30% more powerful than he was uh, mm -hmm. easily uh, in this one domain. Well, so, I mean, you can see just because exactly elucidated by these kinds of situations this is why mainstream psychology doesn't come out and say what i think a lot of it knows which is that yeah. at least a majority of your life is being run by your unconscious right because then you're left with if you operate inside the green box of the comfort zone you can't mm -hmm. produce any significant change but at least you retain the client yes <laughs> if, oh. Ouch. Yeah. And, right. And right. which I've wrestled with for years. It's, and it's like, okay, well you could challenge them in such a way that might cause them to flee. Mm -hmm. But if you don't challenge them that much, maybe they'll come around on their own, which is the yeah. humanism idea. Sure. And we say, no, we don't think that they're going to come around on their own eventually. Besides they said they want the real thing. So yeah. we take the risk of putting them outside and we try to differentiate gold and green enough so that when green says something like, I can't bear the fear related to this hope, that yeah. gold can go, oh shit, I know why a part of me is saying that yeah. and I'm not going to yeah. follow that, but that's the rub. Right. So we do our best to nudge people. We don't force um, or shame someone out of their, uh, their uh, inauthentic protective green comfort zone self um, but we keep giving them reflections over time until they bail out we, we never bail out on people yeah ebe 101 i did bail out on people but that was a whole other context because i was running a school Mm -hmm. I was running a school and each of these people would represent identity or at the time legal in legal ways. And if these people weren't ready to do it and had all these fusion and counter transference things, uh, it would bankrupt. Uh, we could get sued. Uh, uh, identity 1.0 could get sued. So I was a I was a hard teacher, but it was a context. It was a school. And, and part of my um, my recovery from that was realizing that it also spilled over to 10, 20 percent of non-students, non-students mm -hmm. in the school. It also applied to other people who didn't deserve that level of stern um, uh, uh, accountability. So uh, but now uh, EBE uh, Identity 2.0, uh, we just take people to precipices and that's the most we can do and then see if they want to jump off. Yeah. Yeah, that's you all you can you, do. Yeah, it, it's like, okay, so you see, we've gotten to a point where they see the codependence of their, let's say, intimate relationship with, with a, their partner or with a parent, a grown man, a grown mm -hmm. parent, an adult. Um, and it's so obviously toxic, and they would admit it's toxic. Um, we don't say, well, until you leave that, we can't help you like we used to. Um, on the very important um, precept that imagine someone coming drunk 
to therapy. What's going to happen inside of being drunk? Uh, not nothing. So I unfortunately um, I couldn't make the subtler distinction in the old days. And that's a long time ago uh, that um, I that the person I, we could still keep working while people were still medicating with a codependent attachment to a parent or to a loved one. Now we would just take it to the primary, to the precipice. And so what do you want to do about what yeah, you or just, a substance, uh, right? Any kind of strong or substance. Bed, yeah. yeah. Anything. Uh, what do you, what, what do you want to do with it? Well, uh, I'm not sure yet. Okay, great. Well, let it, let, let me know. Doors always open when you feel like you're ready to do that. Well, give me some more guide, guidance. And, and then the most you could say is if it's really true, we've given enough guidance here. Let's just assume and support the fact that a part of you can't go there right now, but we're always willing to continue if you, um, if that should shift for you, you decide. We're not going away, but if you want to keep play, uh, paying for uh, facilitation, well, there's a point past which in my integrity, and uh, I don't do personal work that much, but where the integrity won't allow me to take money for going around in circles over going around in circles and that's going around in circles going around in circles there's a couple levels to that you know going around in circles are about the fact that they're going around in circles yeah exactly 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 right and that's when it gets to be problematic and i'd have to i'd have to go all the way to that before i'd ever say i can't take your money anymore Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be me just surrendering to an inevitable but not going away with any sort of remonstrance or uh or uh, cruelty. Uh, so this, uh, I hope you're getting everyone who's listening to this, how complex the human mm-hmm. con- how complex human consciousness is. That's way oversimplified uh, when we do not see how much the unconscious is running our conscious life. Yeah. And you know, that's a, a philosophical, uh, philosophical question for therapists and helpers of humans of all kinds. You know, it's this moving yeah. target of how hard do you push and, um, yeah. what kind of showing up do you, uh, demand? I tend to, um, I have, to, I would have to see quite a lot of circling. I, I haven't in a long time told someone that I couldn't serve them anymore. Yeah. Um, I just mm-hmm. tend to reflect more and more that they're going in circles and see what they do with it. Exactly. Right. And, and like your example and my example with the hope guy, uh, person, yeah. man, uh, they will take themselves out yeah. and I will, I will give dozens and dozens and dozens of chances for them to do that before I'd ever throw my hands up. Yeah. Uh, everyone told me this was that knew this person that this wasn't going to work. And I said, well, okay, that could be, I'm going to give them my, my bandwidth of consciousness and see if I can get them unlocked. And it, and it worked right to the last second. Mm. Oh God. Yeah. What, so. what, what continues to pain me about that, and I've been seeing this kind of thing in various domains for over 20 years now, is just the, the lack of meta, even to be able to use the mind to do that. And like, I'm working on a piece that I'm going to probably give people in the first six months of working with them, which I've come at it a number of times and some part of me thinks is vain to try, but to explain exactly this, like, when it's starting to work, the majority of you is going to want to quit. Like that's yeah. that's de- that's the demonstrable expression of the fact that the unconscious is running your life. Yes. So 
Um, have you ever tried that kind of stuff with people? I'm mean, sure you have, right? Like to- I, I would never, I would never make it as a framework ahead of time. Uh-huh. Um, but that was the old days, and uh, and 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 from what you're saying and your experience, there's a justification for that to forewarn, and maybe that would offset it because they remember that thing I talked about. Exactly uh, right. You know, um, so no, I, I think that's that's a fresh breath of uh, air that may give some people uh, um, all, all, uh, get over that um, hump, you know, uh, to get over to the uh, not comfort zone. Yeah, it's just like realize yeah. they're not going to die if yeah, they go exactly. out of that comfort zone, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And to realize that, uh, you know, like I've said, I'm sure before on this podcast, but I say very often, like, we understand that physical discomfort is necessary for fitness growth. We understand yes. that mental discomfort is necessary to learn like a new language or, you know, pass organic chemistry. What we don't appreciate as a culture is that there's such a thing as productive emotional pain Yes. precisely because we right. don't accept as a culture, as a species, that our unconscious is majority plus running our life. Yes. If we understood that, then we could go, oh, this is disorienting, painful, and disconcerting. But maybe that's just my unconscious complaining and trying right. to maintain its grip on my life. And that's precisely what is necessary for real change to happen. Oh, it's so wonderful that we're focusing in on this this dynamic because it's it's the make or break dynamic mm-hmm. uh, to uh, uh, break the stranglehold the unconscious protective self has on our otherwise emotional, soulful, authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was um, some person asked me recently uh, um, uh, to help them, uh, and this person is about sixty percent. Uh, 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 toward his enlightenment, non-dual enlightenment goal, and uh, asking for help, uh, but right right up front said it doesn't. He's uh, the person doesn't want to do standard psychological things because he's done all that already, and uh, and the flags are down all over the field. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So if they, so it would became a really interesting question. Do you? Well, I'm, I'm just starting working with this person, so I can't say any more. But yeah. uh, the, the point is here is that we say obviously contradictory things until someone uh, puts a mirror up and say, do you see what you just said? You just contradicted from two minutes ago. And they're just try to get them to get meta to the unconscious uh, said one thing and the, and the leading edge said the other the trailing edge and the leading edge said two different things and they don't they're dissonant completely which if you accept that your unconscious is running your life would be something that would make you curious yes. not defensive exactly if it makes you defensive you're not talking to the leading edge you're talking to yeah. the unconscious. well and this brings up the one of the key problems with this the uh, another reason why it's not commonly accepted in the therapeutic community because of course if if what we're saying is true, that the vast majority of someone's life is run by the unconscious, then what role, responsibility, and power does that put in the helper, in the person there? Yes. That gives that person authority to yes. adjudicate, this yes. is you, this is not you. And, right. and um, now that brings up all sorts of authority projections, potential abuses on the facilitator, or as we call it, the insole mentor or therapist. Right. Um, uh, because, uh, well, what what right does another human being have to right. say that a way you're being and something you're doing isn't the true you and you shouldn't be doing it? 
Right. Well, by the time you're 35 years old, at least five people have done that for you and you thanked them for it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and, and this opens another whole rabbit hole, uh, Joseph, as you know well. uh, As soon as you get into that zone of having an authority adjudicate the healthier and unhealthier version, you're risking cultism. Yes, right. Because uh, the, the tap dance the juggle game that philosophy has has always done is don't try to change people's values. Yes. If you try to change people's values, you're a cult. Well, that's true in one way, but not in all ways. Um, uh, Identity would offer there has to be a, a value shift in what your priorities are to actually grow emotosoulfully. Without, if you're not transcending and you're not simply behaviouring your way to change, yeah. um, what some value in you, where is that value? It's in the unconscious. That value is, no, I'm not going outside my comfort zone. I don't, like you said, I'd, unlike mental or physical pain, which we for, completely accept in growth, uh, no, I'm not willing to go past that comfort zone. Well, that's a value. Yeah. And so we don't want to say um, uh, you, 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 you have to clear your racism before you become whole, even though that might be true. We would never make, make that a, uh, um, a thing that you have to change. We simply say, do you have the value of ultimate curiosity? That's yeah. what we mean by value change. Yeah. It's a meta value you have about how you relate to your positions, not the positions themselves, how you relate to those positions. Yeah, and why, why do we think challenging people's values is, is bad or trying to control their values? Well, that's because um, Catholic-ruled Europe imposed their yes. values on everybody. <laughs> the United right. States was based on freedom of religion, getting to have whatever values you want. So fuck you, King George. Yeah. I get to believe whatever right. I want. Behavioralism right. says you can change without having to look at your values. Secular, secular humanistic psychology (laughs) says we can talk about stuff and you'll change your values on your own. Right. And Uh pharmaceutical says, take this pill and we're not going to even go anywhere near your values. (laughs) You can't even buy a pack of gum without having your values be at play. They're always there. Anytime you have a preference, a value is in, in play. So to make a blanket statement that helping people, wanting to help people change their values is cultic is a reductionism of of yeah. so big it, you could drive a paradigm through it. Yeah, like wh- how so many often. steps in in AA are not values that they're imposing upon you? They they it says if you don't already have a god, make one up. That's a value. Yes, yes. You know? everything is a value. Anytime you have a preference, there's a value at play. So we we focus on a very specific set of meta values of of a relationship to a position. Uh, and, and focus on which ones are self-stagnative or self-destructive and which ones um, are based in curiosity and exploration of possibilities. Yeah, that's and, how, that's how and to, to, to bring this home and, and to say what is uh, implicit right here, um, an enormous percentage of one's values are actually the values of the wounded unconscious protectors. So to expect yeah. that they could stay the same... Yes. Yes. is completely ludicrous, but because precisely what our protector wants to do is have our outcomes and results and experience of life change for the better, while we, especially our values, stay exactly the same. Yes. And we, want, 
don't, don't, I want to change and improve, but don't, don't touch my values. Yeah. And that it doesn't work because they're inextricably intertwined. Everything you have in your life is a result of what you decided a long time ago was good or bad. Yes. So, yeah. Um, it's an existential level of reductionism mm-hmm. um, uh, to say that uh, we can't futz around with people's values. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's 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 an it's an, it's empty uh, on the most cursory kind of uh, uh, analysis, uh, exactly as we're saying. Yeah, it especially bothers me because the same people who say you shouldn't mess with people's values are in fact doing that. It, it's yes. just like the drugs in our society that are approved are caffeine and alcohol and nicotine, sure. and there's sure. a bunch of other drugs that are not okay. It's right. like okay, you can you can challenge people's values when it's this kind of thing in this kind of way. But um, challenging them in these other kinds of ways, that's awful. Well, who's deciding that? Yeah. Where's the benchmark? What's what's the imprimatur? What's the rubric for that that distinction? They're lack that you need benchmarks for that, and that's exactly yeah. what they don't so have. So raising a kid, forcing them to go to Sunday school or Hebrew school, and forcing them to have a, a before they have um, individual agency and critical thinking, conditioning into them all of that religious stuff. That's putting values into them. So that's that's okay. Apparently, you can do that with innocent children. You can't yes. present options to adults about values and make cases for different. That, that's completely far better. And and look look if we go meta 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 here. The the meta 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 uh, orientation that all these Edenic um, pr- principles are based on is the fact that there's an inherent morality. Mm to our emotional soulful authenticity. It's not a moral code that mm-hmm. the religion came up with. It's it's educed naturally, which is why people who get to certain points in their authentication um, uh, uh, arc tend to start having the same bloody values. <laughs> That's why I was, it was so lovely when we were talking about the indictment of a sitting president issue. How we yeah. were, we'd never talked about that before, but we yeah, both had right. outrage just about how they were even talking about it. Because yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Why is this an issue? And what, is that, what does that um, uh, expose? That there is an inherent morality to emoto soulful maturity. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent morality, not put down from the top down uh, mm-hmm. or from the, the ensoulment or an identity to the person. All we're doing is being curious and processing wounding that was lived in the unconscious as a protection mechanism so we couldn't get to it before. And just by doing that, something arises a, a common value system that was we there was no intention to put that value system into people we just want to help them heal and i was astounded how about 20 years ago 18 years ago I, it hit me one day the more we heal the emotional soulful body what we call the emotional body in, in parlance every day uh, the more our values start to converge in those of us who do it, not because we set out ahead of time to do that. Like you would have to wear a mala uh, in Osho's community mm-hmm. of your guru, right? Um, mm-hmm. That that's that's saying here is my values, and you, this is mandated. You have to wear these um, these mandalas or this uh, these malas. Mm-hmm. So we don't. We, there's no malas. There's no pre-arranged thing. Uh, that you have to adhere to except curiosity about how you unconscious may be running your conscious. It's really that brutally simple. But what happens unmindfully, as we just said, 
is like you just a great example of them. We start to share values and analyze and feel through situations that all resonate. That's common value system. We didn't mean to get there, but it arose. And that suggests there's an innate moral uh, code. Yeah. And when there's a disagreement, there's space to explore like, oh, how are you arriving at that? And exactly proactively curious about how the difference in values might have to do with some unconscious projection, et cetera, because there's actually a, a, a back, a backstop for that kind of thing. Absolutely. And of course, the last point maybe about this particular unconscious domain here is the worst kind of dead end. The worst kind of value system is absolutism mm. that, that human beings actually believe that a human being is capable of absolute knowledge, which means no curiosity. Yeah. Th- this is insane. Even I, I had a good uh, talk with a person who was uh, on an enlightenment path recently of how this person didn't realize that um, uh, non-dual enlightened teachers are over-attached to their absolute non-dual only end game. Uh, and so... The, to, to realize that they're over-attached after they're enlightened to their enlightened absolute picture of things shows that they're not enlightened <laughs> because the, the Buddha would never take a, an absolute position. He was always rolling uh, with the homies. You know, he was always rolling with the verb of consciousness being. Yeah. Uh, he would never, he'd have to stop, he'd have to stop dead in his enlightened tracks to have a position that was non-negotiable. And he uh, would probably never refer to the non-dual as, quote, the absolute, which many no. non-dual teachers do. No, he, there Absolutely was nothing what? absolute. Yeah, how, yeah. Could, how could it be? I often uh, say, say in my early satsang days with people, I, I'd, I often said that the only absolute uh, there is to human consciousness is there's no such thing as absolutism in human consciousness. Which is a calling. Yes. Yeah. And they just go, wait, what, 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 what? Uh, that's the only exception, really. Uh, uh, and so, but that requires a meta state of consciousness that is free of absolutism to be able to say such a thing, mm-hmm. or else we couldn't even uh, um, assert that. So mm-hmm. absolutism of all kinds is a value system that is the worst kind of distortion that any human being has any lock on absolute truth no matter how enlightened you are. So. Amen. Well, this may be a good place to spot. I've, so we've got at the moment 17 of these, and that was just, <laughs> uh, we just talked about basically one today, the first one. So. Uh, well, we, we, how about, how about we, we start nibbling at number two? Right now? Yeah. Sure. All right. just, yeah, just yeah. let's start nibbling. Yeah, because we, we yeah, we've talked about it a bit. Yeah, let's do that. So number um, two is that your closest relationships don't actually nourish you. Oh, that's that's guaranteed to get some people's hair up you know? <laughs> uh, on the back of their neck and elsewhere, perhaps. Uh, yeah. That that is a beautiful. I never would have worded it that way, but that is a beautiful phrase that just defines codependence. Yeah. Uh, what you wrote there, Joseph. Uh, uh, you could you could go one step further in saying there are. Um, uh, many aspects of your closest relationship that don't actually nourish you. Yeah, that would be better because some aspects Uh, typically do. Some aspects do, but the point you're being here is that codependence means you're, 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 uh, we're all by default in identity codependent. We're all have, we all have addictive personalities 
two-thirds of us to the degree of the unconscious that needs supplementation for fulfillment because it didn't get emoto-soulful fulfillment in childhood or by our culture. I have an example of this. A client recently said to me, I've been um, nudging them to stand up to her quite emotionally abusive parents. She's an adult. Um, and I've been nudging her to like, hey, just like tell them it hurts. Like just stand up for your self-authority because typically she either ignores it or occasionally acts out and, and that doesn't land either. And I was trying to help her find the middle. And uh, in a recent conversation with her, uh, I said, why, why is it, you know, she was complaining about her parents and how awful they were. And I said, you know, if they're treating you this badly, like, why do you keep spending so much time with them? And right. she literally said something to the effect of like, yeah, you know, it's really bad, but there's just something about it. When I hear their voice, the familiarity just makes me relax. And I was like, oh, God, oh, yeah, my there, God. there it is. There it is. There it is. It was a safety and security medication. And this is classic green um, uh, rubric of the the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So the the familiar misery is better than an unknown outcome of, well, if I were to stand up for myself and say this really hurts how you're talking to me, I don't know what could happen. Will they be able to hear it? How would that change my relationship? Yeah, you don't know. Right. And that's that's the consciousness growth space. You don't know. You have to get out of the comfort zone. There's a classic. I can't get out of the security comfort zone right there. Right. Yeah. Oh, she quit a week later. Oh, she did. Yep. Oh, yeah, of course. Even though, unlike the Daniel of old, that you didn't make it a prerequisite. Oh, no, no. It's just we got to a sort of it just felt like. I didn't mm-hmm. say it was time, but it was sort of like, I think it's mm-hmm. time. And, and and it's especially relevant because um, her husband is treating her a lot like her father does, like a lot. So um, that's why I was going a, down. What a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was going down that road, because like you go oh. to the source and it, it would help yeah. loosen the father projections on her husband. Yeah. And um, which she also wasn't really standing for herself with and doing the same thing, either swallowing or, or raging. And yes. so it could just, we just, you could just feel it in the conversation, like here it was, it's time to do this. And I didn't say that. And, sure. um, and then her unconscious took her out. So like, yep, that's outside the box. That means her unconscious knew what you were implying without words. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. The unconscious <laughs> is really smart. It's, oh my God. It's got all <laughs> sorts of qualities that you have no idea. Um, that's why it keeps itself hidden. Mm-hmm. It's like, it reminds me of, um, uh, of, uh, um, voice dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I work oh, with, someone. yeah, I know where you're going to go. <laughs> I work with someone who, um, who, who just got out of the heart, you know, the Harvard guy, the Harvard uh, people, the two of them was a couple, I think, I forget, uh, that got vo- that created voice dialogue. Uh, is that Daniel Goldman? He was an emotional intelligence guy. No, there was another guy, I forget. No, I think it was different. But at any rate, um, uh, in, in that sense, uh, the person hit a dead end with voice dialogue and he found me. And I was the only one doing e- EBE technique uh, work at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, his um, his picture of things uh, uh, started to shift uh, a bit, and uh, at some point I was able to get the voice of this this protector self very clearly, and uh, I'd asked it, um, "Were you the author of Quitting Voice Dialogue?" 
and the, the, the thing said that was yes. Bold. Yeah, I, it was. It, there was a context I don't remember, yeah. but it was a. It was less bold than it was. Seemed to be the next right question, yeah. and right. And the, the thing was right there with me. The, the the voice and it said, "Oh yeah, that was me." And I said, uh, "Well, can you share with me? I'm, I'm supporting. I think that was a good thing you did, but can you tell me why you did it?" And he and he said, "Well, yeah." It was, it was, I was getting sick of the fact that I, I could just produce anything he wanted, any voice at all he wanted, uh, uh, you know, in voice dialogue, um, burping could be a, uh, uh, a sub persona, uh, the one who burps, <laughs> right? It doesn't, it's just whatever arising thing they made, they made a voice, uh, a and voice there's dialogue. the, there's the secular humanist psychology root of that. It's wherever right. it's changes on the client's terms. Exactly right. Well, he got sick of um, having to come up with different uh, voices, and he said I had to change my tone, I had to make my face look different. I mean, here was the admission. Uh, this was an amazing person. Yeah. The, the, their unconscious got to the point of exasperation uh, because he act this this um, this green protective self. Actually, he got sick of keeping the person at bay, mm -hmm. and then there was enough authentic self built in the short time of EBE I had, he got honest with me. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I had to ask him in that same conversation, well, um, are you getting, do you get that I want you to pretend to be anything that you are? And he said, no, but voice dialogue, uh, he, this, is the, this is the protective self talking. The voice dialogue rewards me for giving him what, I, what they want. Uh, and so I, I got sick of that bullshit game. I don't know what I want, but they, I never met any therapist who said, uh, I'm, I'm not bad. Mm. And that's what made him admit this to me. Uh, because even then I knew, uh, the, the green wasn't bad, just surviving, you know? Yeah. So there's a great example of, of how, uh, the, the, the thing we were on that, that he got sick of being, his his obfuscation he got sick of it working mm -hmm. by the by the therapist and mm -hmm. he wanted so this was an astounding moment for me uh, yeah, to have yeah. that conversation S super interesting mm -hmm. yeah but i love but your definition here um, doesn't actually nourish us and of course i know what you mean nourish us maturely health mm -hmm. healthfully we can be nourished by an addiction uh, but we would call that an immature nourishment uh uh, like we talked about that whole podcast about the ultimate drug for humanity is happiness, right? right? That's what any addictive state's object, whether it's a substance or a person or a parent, um, gives them pleasure. Uh, uh, yeah, and this way. this one the, the about the closest relationship is it's particularly important because not only are we getting at values, yeah. right, which you're not supposed to do, but now we're getting at people's life structures, their support systems, their yes. marriages, right. their family, their closest friends, um, precisely because identity doesn't see any cow as holy and any stone <laughs> as not to be un overturned. Um, That's right. We see the unconscious as, as so... Um, I was going to say insidious, but that's a little tough on it, but so desperate, clever, clever, clever. desperate, afraid, wounded, is that we'll use absolutely anything and everything in order to hide. It reminds me of, uh, was it the first Batman movie? Um, or maybe the, the one with the Jack Nicholson? Yeah, he was in the first one. It's yes. borrowed from uh, Baudelaire. Um, I Googled uh, it. Uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was proving he didn't exist. 
Yes, exactly. There's right. the unconscious projection. That's what the devil was created for as, as a yes. projection of the unconscious. Exactly. So it's, it's, it loves the fact that we can't see it and think that it's not running our lives. That's how it has as much room as it does and that it's the architect and um, provider and um, maintainer of our closest relationships is one of its biggest secrets. That's how it keeps your life the way it is. Yeah. And, and maybe to uh, close, close this first nibble up here and, and close it on a value system thing mm -hmm. uh, is that identity would offer that it's only cultic if the group or the teacher or the teaching demands you change it to the will of the cult. Yeah. If it's just an exploration of possibilities, it's not cultic to explore the root of your value systems. Uh, uh, as you said so beautifully, the psychology just dodges it at every turn. Um, yeah. and that way they can retain clients and keep everybody moving. And well, it keeps them happy. Challenging people's yes. value systems can make them unhappy. So if the point is happiness in that paradigm, then yeah, definitely don't challenge right. people's values. Only do it a little bit in ways yeah. that their unconscious can accept. Because that's what annoys me about the whole not challenging values thing is one, it's unconsciously inside subjectivism yes it's inside yes. like well of course there's no objective values there's no objective yes. morality which is where we live as a society these days that's so, right so if you impose your values to say someone should have a certain value you're already wrong because we haven't done that since before descartes you know so you yes. can't do that <laughs> And we'd say, yeah, well, that's part of the problem that everybody thinks they're entitled to their opinion and that their, you know, Yelp review should result in the restaurant closing down. You know, that's where subjectivism is getting us. And when the dead end of subjectivism is all opinions are valuable. Yes. Equally. There's no there's no adjudication that yeah. here's a toxic value and here's a not toxic value, because like you said, that returns us to mystical yeah. days of the dark ages yeah. so if i'm offended by this comedian their career should be ruined i mean that just makes sense right <laughs> oh that's a whole we should really do a whole podcast on the <laughs> entitledism entitledism uh about don't hurt my feelings uh Oh, God. Yeah. Well, we'll find room in this particular array. Uh, I, for that I, I can't not. I swear I'm on a roll that I can't not tell this story. I went to the beach uh, on Sunday and um, sometimes I'm up for the kind of adventure. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just going to see what reality brought me. And I get to the beach and I, the first thing I see, I'm still in the parking lot. I see this woman sort of jogging to the lifeguard and talking animatedly to him. And then he gets in his little vehicle and drives over. And I was headed that direction anyway. It's like, okay, well, there's some drama here. Let's check it out and see what's going on. Because <laughs> I'm curious, you know, and I was in a, sure. it yeah, was yeah. free stimulation, you know, why not see what the human <laughs> beings are doing at the beach? Well, on the positive, you're a student of the human condition. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And it Go was ahead. totally worth it. I mean, sometimes that can be really gnarly. It's a risk because you might see some stuff you don't want to see or hear. So... I'm sort of <laughs> eavesdropping from like 15 feet away, pretending to stretch on a pole or something. And uh, I was stretching, but I was also listening. And what I find out is the woman's three-year-old child was nude in the shower and apparently like had um, her hand in her butt trying to like get sand out or something. And this like 40-something-year-old guy was like offended by that. And he like said something like, ugh. And so she got mad at him because from her perspective, 
uh, he was like perving on her daughter and right. his position was i shouldn't have to see that Oh that, that was the con- that was the essence of the conflict. And so the lifeguard handled it really well. I was quite impressed. It was really enheartening to experience. He was basically like, well, this is like a public place. It's just a kid. And he, he kept getting more anime. Like, I shouldn't have to see that. And the guy's like, well, you know, she probably had like some sand inside her. So like she's only three. And he's mm-hmm. like, I shouldn't have to see that. And that's what's happening in society today. And at a certain point, the lifeguard actually said the woman gave up and flipped him off and left. Uh, and the, uh, the lifeguard actually said, hey, man, I, I think you're actually revealing your own insecurities here. I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, I was really impressed with how, how he did that for a lifeguard to reflect to him his projection issues. Let's go. We got to go one more time around that. Uh, that okay. This is exactly why so many evangelical leaders mm-hmm. um, pr- uh, uh, preach fire and brimstone, the sins of the flesh, mm-hmm. and then get uh, have uh, affairs and prostitutes on the side. Um, <laughs> him, I can't bear. I don't. I shouldn't have to see this. Wait. Let's just go a little below the surface of that symptomatic reaction. Mm-hmm. And that is only someone who had a pervy interest yep. that on the trailing edge would a leading edge say, I, I shouldn't have to see this. Yeah. That means unconsciously for the, all this whole podcast, we're talking about the unconscious. He was interested, said, no, that's bad. And then came out with the projection that said, I shouldn't have to see this. Totally. He gave away his own perversity totally. while thinking he is completely clean of any perversity. You couldn't say that. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. I wouldn't have thought oh. to put it that way. But you know what? Oh. I thought about talking to the guy because I'm on my little adventure like, oh, I'll chat with a guy and get his yeah. side of things or whatever. That might be fun. And I watched him for a little while and I decided not to precisely because I picked up that pervy energy from him. I could see like something is twisted in this guy and it doesn't right. feel good. I, I think he was sexually I, abused. I, I absolutely. I the thing that I was going to say next, and that's in buried in the unconscious and he doesn't remember that. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I saw a young, a little three-year-old uh, digging the sand out of her butt or whatever in a public shower mm-hmm. um, on a, you know, in a, and on the on the beach there, I would go, ooh, wow, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to look, yeah, um, because the, I have no pervy interest in a child. Uh, I don't project sexuality into a three-year-old or a five-year-old, so um, you would never play victim. I don't have, I don't, I, I, I didn't want to see that unless you did want to see it, right? And I'm taking yourself to task for having that proclivity. Yeah, I mean, it's so patently crazy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, especially being a kid. If it's an adult behaving oh, in a certain oh. way, that's a slightly different matter. Slightly, you still have to take responsibility, but you definitely can't put the responsibility on a kid, on a three-year-old who's just doing whatever. Like, are you going to blow up when they pick their nose too? Because they're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's just a that's just a, well, that's a safe orifice, I guess. <laughs> See, so, oh man, and this is why this is the whole uh, a reductionistic distortion in in the entitlement to not wanting your feelings hurt uh, yeah. that's out there is, is you wouldn't be your feelings wouldn't be hurt if you didn't already judge them. Mm. It's impossible for someone to hurt your feelings unless you already are hurting them from your own self admonition loop. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's so off the radar screen of TikTokism and 
Instagrammaticism and uh, Instagrammaticism. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say about the values thing before we close, and that is okay. that um, about. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it goes all the way back. I'm pretty sure we talked about this in the first 15 episodes when we talked about cults. Um, so you can go back to there, listeners, if you want. But the it's the the whole what is a cult thing is such a classic example of the confusion of content and context. So yes. if you all you got to yes. Google is like, what are the signs of a cult? What makes a cult? Whatever. And you'll find lists of content things. Yes. That is not what a cult is, be, no. because all you got to do is point to how that all applies to every family, every religion. Yes. Um, you know, even like, uh, you know, every Rotary Club or Elks Club yes. or whatever. <laughs> There's yes. no escaping values and people forming um, groups around values. There's no escaping right. that. It's all right. about how are those values related to. That's exactly. the context. Exactly. But when someone brings a content-based value that is unusual, uh -huh. they go, oh, no, it could be a cult. Why? Because right. it's not altruism and belief in God. Those <laughs> values are okay for 5 billion people to subscribe to. But, uh, you know, that self-interest is always operating and that unconscious is 70%. Those values are cultic. Yeah. In, in content, it's just different. It's just a different value. And it's not imposed upon people like the church does. No, no, we, we couldn't possibly be a cult because we, we don't impose anything. We ask people yeah. to uh, have it self-validated for them. We don't force anybody to, to go along with these assumptions and, and yeah. offer. But if we if we turned identity into a church and got a religious yeah. uh, nonprofit and then mm -hmm. opened up a Sunday school and started inviting right. children to come so we could inculcate them into the paradigm, yeah. yes. we, we would just be doing what what all the big five world religions are doing. <laughs> and people would call it cultic just because yeah. it's a different view. Yes. But and yet but it's completely reasonable to baptize a child. Yeah. Uh, put them through the, the paces of the first uh, communions, have the girls dress in white and the boys wear ties. And uh, yeah. that's not, that's not cultic uh, because it's been established for 2,200 years or whatever. Yes. Right. I mean, this, this is just crazy. The stuff. same way alcohol is okay. And marijuana is illegal. It's like, okay, yes. well, why, mm -hmm. what's your, what's your paradigm causing you to arrive at that? <laughs> right. So if you're, if you're experiencing that Joseph and I are putting are blowing holes in just about, uh, uh, all paradigms present on planet Earth, from philosophy to psychology to religion, um, you're right. If uh, you're just tuning in, <laughs> that's what we do just, here. That's what we do, but only as uh, pejoratively. I mean, we take this stuff very seriously, but, yeah. but it's all about exploration and what if. Everything yeah. in our podcast, everything in identity, what if this were true? And, and be curious about what we mean as opposed to rejecting us out of hand because... A content we say uh, is, is what you've been taught as a cult is cultic. Yeah. It's our relationship to our truths that create cults, not the truths themselves. That's how I would reduce what you said to yeah. its barest form. It's not our truths that are cultic truths. It's how we relate to our truths that are cult. That's cultic. And and why we glom onto content in, in, instead of thinking in terms of context first. I mean, yes. well, we've been talking about that in one way since the beginning. That goes all the way back to the three soul fears. And yes. that's the hardest thing to do, just generally yeah. speaking, is get people to think contextually because they don't even realize they've been inculcated into a science-first, content-based, um, reductionistic world. They can't even think 
thematically, inductively, inferentially, they can't do that. And they don't even know those things exist. They don't know they exist, which is why the one thing I wanted to hug Jiddu Krishnamurti for mm. was his whole basis of his, of his teaching. It had lots of flaws in it, in my opinion. But what I wanted to hug and kiss him was about that he had, was driven by one question. Mm-hmm. It was a question. What is an unconditioned being? Yeah. That is so lovely because it is exactly what you're saying. He wanted to go meta meta to all of our content, um, uh, self identifications and self attachments. What is an unconditioned being? Uh, is it an unconditioned being even possible? Uh, uh, we would say no. Um, all we would do is, is, uh, recon helping. We help people recondition. And to that, there's a step of unconditioning, Mm-hmm. deconditioning before you can recondition mm-hmm. and we do that all consciously and with full permission of people as we explore in, in our curiosity but there there it is uh, he 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 would be representative in the best possible interpretation of what you just said yeah the slavery to content um he would call the content one meta up dualism yeah but it's still the same integrity and nobility uh, that you're speaking to mm. Well, this is one of my favorite podcasts. This was was really fun. It was, and and we'll just keep... These are doorways to so many different domains, so that's what makes this so pregnantly um, appropriate as a uh, guide for our uh, this next series of podcasts. Yeah, all right. Well, cool. Then that's what we'll talk about. Thank you, Stace. Mm -hmm. Thank you, listeners, and uh, thanks for joining us for all 65 of these podcasts. (laughs) If you've been listening in order, that's nearly a hundred hours probably uh yeah, yeah. By now so yeah. keep listening and we we look forward to you tuning in next time thanks and bye for now thanks for listening to the heart of soul podcast to learn more about stace baron and identity please visit identity.org to learn more about joseph shapiro visit clearandopen.com. until next time we wish you well on your journey